We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm, I, I kind of, I think, I sort of just woke up. I mean, I, is it okay to say? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a human. I should be permitted to sleep. That doesn't mean that there was no preparation taking place, but I, I took a nap before we got started. So I'm actually feeling well, pretty refreshed and good. Yeah. Um, here with Michael Moynihan, Vice News. Yes. Matt Welch, editor at Large Reason Magazine, is on a plane, or maybe he's already in LA, but he's going to be on real time today. So he's not with us here. Yes, um, I'm sure he's going to be lights out. It'll be phenomenal yes. and interesting. Um, and perhaps some of you just watched him on real time and you, and you and decided you did, to listen to his fine podcast. And when you, at the end of this podcast, when you're like, good God, that was a good podcast. I can't even believe it. Imagine that it's 33% better when Matt's here. We're considering this as 100%. I mean, the math doesn't make a ton of sense, but 33% better when Matt is here. So typically you get uh, the three of us, sometimes four, um, when we have a guest. But um, we found it so necessary in a phone call that Camille and I had uh, Mm -hmm. today Mm -hmm. to get on uh, the horn and uh, despite the absence of Matt Welch and talk about the continuing madness that is gripping <laughs> our dumb world. Um, and so I don't know, where do we begin with this? I mean, should we begin you, you in honoring- this best of all possible worlds. Our queen? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we should. We should yeah. certainly talk about the queen. We should perhaps talk about the, the, the race uh, in Pennsylvania. We could talk about Steve Bannon um, getting arrested- Being frog In marched. New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, plenty yeah, of things going on walk. that that deserve some of our attention, but yes, let us let us begin with the Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth, um, who died on yesterday um, in the morning. I saw some some news. I was probably Drudge where I saw it first. Yeah, um, that which is a uh, in hospital to the Smiths album. The Queen is dead, as is what yeah. the headline was, which seems a little coarse if you don't know the reference. But the Queen is dead is the name of a of a. Uh, Republican, small R, um, an anti-monarchical album by the Smiths in 1986 called The Queen is Dead, which was wishing death on the queen, but uh, yeah. she outlived the Smiths by about 35 years. So yeah, so, yeah. Uh, the queen is indeed dead. But as a Jamaican-American, as uh, yes. Jamaican parents, yes, that, is, that was your queen and as, as you know, <laughs> in some sense, okay? I mean, we're, we're going to get right into this because yeah. she... Um, over some of the oppression of your yeah. people. Well, I've certainly for... seen her visage on the money. So yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I've never ever, honestly, like until you said it just now, Moynihan, I'd never thought about that connection to the Queen. I've only ever thought about the the absurdity of the British monarchy, and it's absurd, I mean yeah. absurdity in the sense that this these don't actually have any real power. This is a ceremonial no. office. Um, you would and... you'd be mistaken for thinking you'd be uh, you'd be. It'd be understandable if you yes. thought that they did. Right. Uh, by looking because at Because of the outrage. Yeah. Yes. They're like, I cannot believe all the people that she killed. I was like, wait, what? The <laughs> woman with the corgis? The old lady with the bonnet on driving a Land Rover in Balmoral yeah. in Scotland and the corgis? Like her God, principal right? duty in the, in the British government is to shake yeah. hands with the new pre-M. Like and to kill day. minorities. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's not listed to on her business card. Bloody crusades. Yes. Um, it's presumed, though. 
So I mean, Moynihan. <laughs> so I I really hadn't thought about that connection to her. So now yeah. I'm I'm kind of rethinking my position here. Maybe I should hate her. Maybe I should yes. view myself perpetually now and forever yes. as the colonized. Um, you because are. you've been colonized. The Your brain has been colonized. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the response online has has largely been either people with these kind of outpourings of sympathy. Yeah. Um, Brits who seem genuinely kind of moved and emotional. I saw um, a, a post from yeah. our friend um, Andrew Sullivan um, talking about how upset he was trying to write a post because he's thinking about all of the things that uh, come to mind when he thinks about the Queen in terms of yeah. um, kind of her her decency and goodness sure. and virtue. Um, I don't I don't really have sentiments like that towards any elected official or politician no. or, or in this head case of unelected state. official yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. Yeah. um but other people view her with contempt and the posts have been uniformly about the predation of the british empire on the rest of the world particularly the various mm -hmm. nations and peoples who they've colonized and um, decolonized and, de yeah. and decolonized um, or places like um, like Jamaica, uh, who were who are still a, a part of the of the kingdom, so to the speak. The Commonwealth, yeah. The Commonwealth. Yeah. Um, part of the Commonwealth, yeah. I mean, Moynihan, am I am I incorrect? We talked a moment ago just about the the fact that she's a figurehead. Is yeah. it different with the Commonwealths? Do, does she have any kind of meaningful power no, over? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. 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 I mean, if, if, like if her picture's if on the had, money, but if she had, you'd know. But there was a constitutional crisis in Australia in 1975, mm -hmm. in which the colon the the sort of Commonwealth governor. It's a long, complicated thing. Uh, basically, bounced out the prime minister. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the only time I can think of it. It happened, and the Queen's involvement of that was basically, we found out later, nothing. And it was not brought to her attention. She was not behind this. So as far as like, you know, political moves, mm -hmm. you notice that no one's actually talking about any particular political statements she made. She was she was very studiously apolitical and kept out of the whole thing. It was a ceremonial thing. And for, for like somebody like Andrew, and, you know, it's very weird for us, I would say. Um, because we don't, you know, we fought our war to get rid of that king. And now we're all crying about the queen. It's a very funny thing how that happens. Because our minds have been colonized, Camille. Yes. We can't yes. get rid of it after, <laughs> you know, 300 years. We're still, you know, it's in our brains. But, you know, it, it's, it's hard to understand. Like when you have something that is so much a part of your country and your civilization, it's Andrew kind of being rational about the irrational in a way. I was in my hometown, where it started, by the way, the day the queen died, yesterday, I was in my hometown of Concord, Massachusetts, where the shot heard round the world was fired at the Old mm. North Bridge by the rude bridge that arched the flood, as the um, <laughs> poem goes. And, and, you know, I'm there and I'm in a British shop. There is a, I didn't know this was there. On Main Street in Concord, there's a British shop. And oh. it has all these sorts of British goods. You know, Brits are very, they need their food. This very specific British cuisine. They need to have it. People make fun of British cuisine. Uh -huh. But everywhere you go, there's a British shop, right? There's like five in New York City. And uh, I was buying a bottle of, um, what's it called? Uh, the the um, HP sauce. Okay. And I was out of HP, HP sauce. Very specifically British thing. And on the top of HP sauce, it has the, the emblem. And it mm -hmm. says, like, by order of the queen and blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, my God, they, HP has to change all the labels now because it's now it's by the, <laughs> by king. the king. And it's like, yeah. it's that kind of ubiquitous in the sense that it doesn't mean anything. 
and yes, I am, you know, an anti-royalist and a Republican, small mm-hmm. Republican in that mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. because I don't believe in hereditary, you know, leadership, even if it's symbolic and mm-hmm. I think it's a waste of money, et cetera. But it does exist and it's not my business in a way, because I'm not British. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it does and that somebody can be emotional about this stuff is that it is a part of your life. Right. It is a part of everything. Queen is always there. She's doing her address, which is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's always like stiff upper lip. You know, she did one during COVID. She did, you know, she does them, you know, her, when she was 21 years old, I mean, she became queen when she was 21 years old, right after right. World War II, right. in which she served, you know, fixing Jeeps, driving Jeeps, et cetera. And she's just a part of the scenery of England. And because she's somebody who stays out of everything and doesn't make political statements, and is this kind of, you know, maternal figure. It's like, I don't understand, I do understand the necessity of these people who want to attack um, when somebody dies, because what they're doing, obviously, is they're not talking about Queen Elizabeth, anything about her. I mean, they, they, they are, but they don't really understand what they're saying. They're trying to find, you know, some news event to talk about the thing that is important to them. Mm-hmm. Right, which is this idea of decolonization, right, right? Because they think she's the head of the British Empire, the British Commonwealth. All this is symbolic; it doesn't mean anything. But to them, it's these are people that use decolonize has become a very trendy word in everything. Mm-hmm. Right, we have to decolonize the curriculum. Right. We have to decolonize this library. It's like, right, right. Do you guys think that sounds clever? Because it just sounds <laughs> dumb to me. And, and who you know, referred this, this to white of, people generically as colonizers. Yeah, it's basically what it is. It's yeah. like, there's, but, but these are people also don't understand that people of all beautiful hues have been colonizers all throughout history. <laughs> the country of Africa prior to the European colonization yes. was internally colonized. Yes. But, you know, but I guess that's better to well, this, invade this, countries and... Kingdom, yeah, this this is what I wanted to to talk about a little bit because I I saw you know the posts that were making people most upset yesterday. Yeah. Uja Anya, um, who is at Carnegie Mellon, is that yeah, right? Uja Bantown, Ethiopia with our prince and princess. I can't yes, do my best. about Uja colonization. It's um, about Ethiopia and colonization. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but she had this tweet yesterday. I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, stop right genocidal there, by the way. Stop. Well, let's we, we gotta go. We gotta go. Stop. We, we gotta stop okay. right away. Okay. Because no one's pointed this out yet, and somebody okay. you cannot t- trust anybody. I mean, the whole tweet is you can't trust him, but you can't trust anyone who believes there's something called a chief monarch. (laughs) The number one chief monarch. The chief monarch? Like, literally, you have no idea. The chief monarch. Okay. Continue. I apologize, but the chief monarch has been rankling. I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating. This reminds yeah. me of a tweet from the the LP of New Hampshire. Um, if anyone, <laughs> I mean, about other things, mostly yeah, Meghan yeah, yeah. McCain. It seems father. like something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. very brave. Um, very if brave. Any, if anyone expects me to express anything but disdain oh, for the monarch who supervised the government that sponsored the genocide that massacred and dis and uh, displaced half my family, and the who? consequences of which those alive today are still trying to overcome you can keep wishing upon a star that's, that's my favorite the second that's tree the is worst better. line <laughs> the second tree is the best because it's like that's the one when you're like how tough you are you're like don't even try it i don't even care i'm gonna be like you know and by the way it is worth pointing out that the cowards at twitter took that tweet down 
which is <laughs> disgusting and they should keep it's it silly. up. Yeah. And you know, you want to know what people like Donald Trump think, what Steve Bannon thinks, what this mm -hmm. woman thinks. And we only know that by these tweets being able to exist. And, and you know, you, it achieves nothing actually when you have it and people screenshot it and then you just right. eliminate it. It's yes. like, you just look bad. It's like yeah. the, the, the sentiment's not going anywhere. Yes. Right. I mean, it's in, in why would you Trump want to kill that sentiment anyway? It's a fine sentiment to have in fine. I only mean in the sense it's you're allowed to have it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It's not illegal. It's I don't think it's a good one. But to say and by the way, she, you know, shook the hand of the the newest prime minister, Liz Truss, uh, just the day before she died. And she looked frail and old. So I did. Mm -hmm. So that tweet, it, it's funny because it what didn't doesn't appear that it was excruciating. Mm -hmm. It appears that it was quite quick. So I guess she wins again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she, died, she died in relative comfort. Um, so, and she wasn't 96 was years old. Yeah. 90, I mean, come on. You live to 96. God, you've, yeah. you've generally won. And I mean, yes, she did that and was yes. generally esteemed around the world. Um, but, but there's this yes, characterization, well this characterization yeah. of, of her and the, the British empire as uniquely despotic and terrible yes. and awful. And the thought that I had one hand, reading most of these replies from people who keep insisting things like, I think it was Eugene, um, Eugene Scott from the Washington Post, who had a very smart, snarky tweet um, saying, you know, just a question for everyone who insists that this is a bad time to talk about um, colonialism. This is, this is, when, would always, be a, when would be a good that, time they always do that. Yeah, to talk about the, that. the legacy the of colonialism? Like, oh, it's a bad time? I Let mean, me just brain on your parade. It's like, what, is of, it, what does she have to do with colonialism? All she didn't make any of the decisions of decolonization. Yeah. And by the well, way, this, the biggest colony, uh, the most important colony, the Raj in India, was decolonized prior to her becoming queen. And she was the <laughs> longest serving monarch in British history, if not world history. There's probably one or two that, you know, were, were, were appointed when they were two years old or something. But she, the, India was not even in her watch. I mean, she so was, she, she was, probably so she largely presided over the decolonization, the decolonization effort. Yeah. And, yes. and in many respects, efforts to kind of normalize relations. Um, I mean, some of the episodes that, that seem to have unfolded are, for example, when like Nigeria was removed mm -hmm. from the Commonwealth because of human rights violations, which again, mm -hmm. to the extent this is kind of a, a ceremonial um, relationship in, in many respects, more than anything else. And financially beneficial. I mean, they, the, the Commonwealth countries, I mean, you go to, to I was in... Um, I was in the British Virgin Islands this mm -hmm. year with my daughter mm -hmm. and there was all sorts of tumult and, and, and happiness that, 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 um, uh, I don't think it was Charles. It was, and I don't think it was, it definitely wasn't the queen, but it was somebody coming to visit and they hadn't mm -hmm. paid a visit in like 40 years or something. Mm -hmm. And they were just kind of assembling for it. And, you know, they get money from, from the, be, from being in the Commonwealth. I mean, they're, they're supplied with, with money and, and resources and things like that. And they, they, they don't have to be in the Commonwealth. Right. They can choose to lead the Commonwealth. This is like many people have this conversation about Puerto Rican independence. I mean, look at the numbers on the people's opinion about Puerto Rican independence. They're, they're not in the direction of Puerto Rican independence by a long shot, by a big mm. margin, because there's, there's wonderful benefits, including you don't, you, you can have a, you're an American citizen. I mean, you just can travel to America. You're not Puerto Rican when you don't want to be Puerto Rican. You're just an, right. you're an American. That has some, that has some benefits. Huge but, benefits. Why this is really such a big Puerto Rican community in, in the city of New York, you know? So that's the contemporary kind of benefit yeah. today 
But historically, there's some question about like prior abuses under yeah. previous regimes and whether or not that, there that is was true, for you sure, know, both sure. some kind of responsibility, some obligation that's created going into the future. One can have a conversation about that. But it also seems totally appropriate to acknowledge that before the horrible colonizers showed up on the dark continent of Africa, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, when and those those tribal relationships, those emerging states in some cases, um, particularly in like the northeast of Africa, mm-hmm. like were engaged in all sorts of statecraft with one another. And in some cases, just kind of brutal battles um, and colonization of their own. Yes. There was subjugation taking place. I, I keep imagining that people who are writing these tweets, who imagine that, you know, these are the the brutal, thieving, raping, genocidal empires, what they thought that empires that existed on the continent of North America or the continent of Africa or the continent of Asia, for that matter, what they were actually constituted of, what they were like. Because it mm. seems to me that most governments, most states throughout history have been brutal, awful, miserable in some pernicious, predatory kind of way. 100%. And that at some point there was a change. In yeah. our recent past as a species, there was a change. This is not saying that all of the crimes are relative, but it does suggest that there's something different about the West in particular, about the United States, about about Britain, and that these are nation states that were involved in inventing a particular idea. Yeah, there's times when it's worse, <laughs> right? There's times uh-huh. when, when colonial powers come in and make the situation so much worse. I mean, this, mm-hmm. is, this is very, very true when it comes to Belgium and the Belgian Congo and King Leopold. And, you know, Adam Hochschild's book on King Leopold's ghost is... is um, a pretty brutal account mm-hmm. of of what the Belgians did when they colonized, and and if you take uh, somebody like Philip Garavich's book um, about Rwanda, called "We Regret to Inform You That Tomorrow Will Be Killed with Our Families," um, mm-hmm. quite a quite it's a, a really name. good it's, book, and, yeah, and it's a great book. And and it, what Garavich says in that book, which I have some problems with, is that you know the the, the Hutus and the Tutsis that tension was exploited by by uh, colonizers. And this mm-hmm. is obviously what, what happens in a lot of, exa- a lot of these examples. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's exploited, but it didn't, it's not that it didn't exist and wouldn't have existed without it. Right. I mean, these are, these are hum- the human capacity for this stuff is what human history is all about. And to pretend that there is something unique about this, and, and I think that particularly when it comes to, when, it, when, it's a, when it's talking about Africa, I think there's actually something racist about the way people deal with this and Absolutely. they make it sound as if yeah. there, there was this bucolic uh, continent of very mm-hmm. simple folk yes. who had no it's noble savages, no power. They're noble savages. Yeah. They just, you know, were going around hunting and like shaking each other's hands and being nice. And all these white people showed up and all this bad stuff happened. Of course, the slave trade was enabled by the taking and capturing of slaves by various people in Africa and then selling mm-hmm. them to Europeans. So, I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it, again, none of this is to downplay the crimes of colonialism, and they are many. And mm-hmm. I don't think that people who argue against this stuff, if they're arguing in good faith, are denying that. I mean, it would be silly and ahistorical to do so. Right. But it's just that when this happens, Queen Elizabeth dies, there's nothing specific in any charge against her, right? Nothing. When mm-hmm. she's saying my, fa- this one is like my family. I'm like, who's your family? 
<laughs> Where is this genocide? Tell me about this, because I'd like to kind of push back or maybe even agree with you and say that maybe Queen Elizabeth wasn't responsible for this, but what you're saying is it's something that did happen and it's it's something mm -hmm. that, that should be should be acknowledged, is that no, it's just an opportunity for these people who are obsessed, obsessed with historical grievance. Mm -hmm. And that is the way of looking at the world these days is not historical understanding. Right. It's literally an accounting so we can, you know, sort of levy a bill against somebody. Right. And even like, look, when the Poles do this, and the Poles were doing this to the Germans recently, like you owe us two trillion dollars for invading in 1930. I just don't, I don't like this stuff because it's a never ending cycle of mm -hmm. writing, of writing bills and writing checks. With, with history an, is ugly. With an arbitrary starting point as an well. An arbitrary starting point. Like this exactly this right. becomes the issue because yeah. we, we don't care about the predation that took place before a particular time. We only care about the predation that takes place after a particular time and yeah. when it involves someone who is successful today, successful enough that we can condemn them, that we can demand something from them, yeah. some sort of redress. When, as I mentioned, I mean, there is a... a a cultural and political and social and philosophical milieu that exists in the West that is responsible for helping to codify much of what we regard today as basic human rights. Like those mm -hmm. ideas and those values were were born out of the Enlightenment and born out mm -hmm. of the constitutional traditions that mm -hmm. exist, like here in the states, yep. that 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 were in many in many respects incubated. Um, in Europe before the the United States, um, and I, it just it seems to me just terribly important to at least like place these things into relative context and have conversations yeah. about kind of the 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 various ways that deprivations have been visited upon our ancestors, and I mean that collectively broadly. Um, yeah. Most people throughout most of history have been subjugated. Um, is is worthwhile and worth remembering this yeah. this completely ahistorical like narcissistic um, obsession with referring to yourself several generations removed in some cases as a colonizer and referring to anyone with yeah, white or skin as, as yeah. the yeah. colonizers yeah. you know or yeah. as colonized yeah as the colonizers yeah. it's it's what an impoverished ridiculous view yeah. to have of yourself and the world around you. It doesn't require knowledge. And you'll notice that about, about all of these tweets about Queen Elizabeth. If you got all of these people, I mean, this would be the test. If somebody sent that tweet and the second it hit Twitter, a live feed popped up of them and people could just chime in and say, let's talk about your tweet immediately. Mm -hmm. And if you were to ask them, okay, so what, when you're talking about colonization, what are the crimes that, that you're really upset about? And what do you connect um, Queen Elizabeth Two, like, just give me an example. They would know nothing. I mean, this is just, these are all, this is feelings and emotions politics. And saying, as you just said, you know, if you look at the whole grand scope and sweep of history and understanding, you know, colonization when it's internal, a colonization when it's, you know, within a continent, you know, mm -hmm. as you said, mm -hmm. Asia, people don't, I mean, to ask Koreans what they think about the Japanese. And it's like, well, to us, they're all Asians, <laughs> right? It's all the same. Yes. There's yeah. Latinos and there's Asians and there's blacks yeah, and there's yeah. whites, okay? And maybe there's yeah. Arabs, but we just call them Muslims too. Even we don't recognize Coptic Christians Crazy. or anything. Yeah. But the thing about it is it's like when you see a police shooting, there's a very similar thing here. And somebody's shot in the back or they have their hands up or something like this. And you find out that there's two cops on duty and they're chasing them down and they shoot them. And you find out both of the cops are black. You're not going to hear about that as much, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to disappear a lot faster. 
And we saw that recently with this weird video that you were tweeting about in New York City. It's like both of those cops were Hispanic. The the guy who was shot was black. And, you know, it turned out that narrative wasn't true anyway. Um, but the thing is, is that we don't we don't care about that. We care about it when when it's George Floyd and a white cop with his mm -hmm. knee on his neck. And we care about it when it's Africa and there's a part of Africa being exploited in, 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 in all of the cases, by the way, brutally economically exploited. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the ec economic exploitation is, is what really is the thing that, you know, is unique to all of them, right? You can mm -hmm. be a benevolent dictator and steal all their resources too and give the local people nothing. But, you know, we don't care about that when it's, you know, a colony where the two sides of that story have similar skin tones, which strikes me as so ridiculous. Right. Right. And it's so bizarre. Yeah. And it's the same way about the cop shootings. It's like, right. I, you should care when someone gets shot, when somebody's drunk on power and not thinking and saying the easiest, the easiest things to shoot this guy in the back. It's like, well, I was a black guy and the other, the cop was black and the victim was white. Who cares? Like the guy that there was that video that went around very briefly of the guy having his head slammed into the pavement, I think in Alabama or Arkansas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like, he was just like a white, like meth head. And everyone was like, holy fuck, that video was so brutal. And it was like, I didn't hear about it the next day. Never heard exactly. of it again. Yeah, yeah. Because like, who cares? There's no politics to be made out of this. We don't care about the person actually being injured. We just care about, can we make a bigger po political thing about it? And that's what the queen's death is. It is like, where can we politically grandstand when this very sweet old lady who did nothing, like, I mean, <laughs> did nothing that you can think like, top of your head, what did she do that was horrible? People are like, um, I don't know, she's British. British Empire is pretty fucking bad. It's like, yeah, okay. All right, I would agree with you on a lot of that stuff, but what about her? It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, but she was the thing. Like, what should she have done? I don't understand. I don't understand what, what the, because nobody is pointing out anything particular about Queen Elizabeth in her behavior or her opinions or anything she said because she wasn't that kind of figurehead. Mm -hmm. I mean, figurehead is the, is the key word there, but she's right, not that right, kind of figurehead. right. You know, apart from the the reductive way of imagining these indigenous populations in, in other countries, and indigenous is an interesting word, but I, I won't get into that. We'll, we'll save that for Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, there's the, the narrative about whether or not places like um, the UK or the United States would have become great, but for the predations mm -hmm. of other peoples. And yeah. I was thinking earlier today about the attributes of a society um, or of a nation state that are likely to be like most essential to their um, historical achievements and the economic prosperity that they're actually able to attain. And I'm, I'm like kind of bulleting this stuff out. Like what, what's the most important thing? Like favorable weather conditions historically, like geography and topography, yeah. whether or not you have rich soil, navigable yeah. waterways, yeah. Um, proximity to, and the number of prospective trading partners that are kind of in the immediate vicinity that you can actually get to by via waterways. Yeah, in it's most like cases. it's like being because queen. It's, it's very an accident. It's an right? accident of birth, right? <laughs> Precisely. So you've got that. You've got um, um, like the political and economic system that you might in fact have in place because some of these things work better than others. Um, so if you've yeah. chosen one of these technologies, like that could be good for you. And then you've got like slavery. And it mm. seems to me that if I give you all of those options to choose from, and I say, well, which one of those things is most responsible for the success of the United States? 
um, or the success of the United Kingdom, the the British Empire? Like, which one of those things? It seems to me that that like in general, and I should probably add like technological innovation as well, because yeah, like, yeah, yeah, learning yeah. to navigate the the high seas was vital to that the success vital. of the British Empire. Like yes. those, all of those things are more important than the specific kind of deprivations that might have been visited upon some native population. More important to their success, more important to their success than like the institution of slavery. And the fact that in the sense that all of those deprivations, the slavery, like these are things that anyone had access to, like rank barbarism at some point is just kind of the norm. It is the baseline in many And probably hurt the development for social of the empire too. Precisely right. Yeah. yeah. I think it was jettisoning a... that that has actually allowed them to thrive in many respects yeah. and embracing a new sort of political technology, specifically like limited government, republicanism, constitutionalism, the granting of human rights, the respect yeah. for the dignity of the individual. Yes. Like those are technologies, even, even in their even in their kind of proto forms, even in the the forms where they were becoming quote more perfect, right? Yes. Like all of those things are more important. And whether I ask you to pick one of them or to rank order them, it seems to me that like the slavery and the deprivation, like that bit, the brutalism um, of those regimes, their worst attributes would show up towards the end of that list if they're even on the list of things that were genuinely advantageous yeah. for their growth and development at all. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's kind of in that sixteen nineteen debate about this mm -hmm. is the the idea that without slavery, you couldn't have built the new world. And there is a really interesting, and I don't mean this in any sort of um, ideological way or any like like choosing sides here. I mean, just mm -hmm. there's actually just an interesting historical debate and and debate amongst um, economists um, who understand the history of economics that whether or not this was a necessary precondition or it was actually a hindrance. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a really great case to be made that to say that it was a hindrance, but that's a different episode. But I would say, I would say right. this about, right. about when you talk about um, all of the problems that you see in the world now, there's so many of them are tribal. Um, and I'm not talking about racial, by the way, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. they can be racial. Mm -hmm. They can be tribal. They can be ethnic. They can be regional. And all of those conflicts around the world I mean, this is not to say anything about, about colonialism because it exacerbated and created some, or not created, I think, you know, in the Philip Garavich uh, point ab about, um, you know, in, in his book about, about the Rwanda genocide, that they were exploited and exacerbated for very cynical gains. That's, again, there's no denying that. Mm -hmm. um, it's a matter of what, whether that it existed because of, of colonial power. I don't think that's true. But you know, you need to get rid of things like that to be successful. And I think that when you pull back from an empire or when the empires actually change and to say that they're all the same at all times in history is totally wrong. Right. Is like legitimately totally right, wrong. Right, how it right. was ruled, how people were treated, how they were actually perceived by those that they were lording over mm -hmm. fairly or unfairly, most cases totally unfairly. The opportunity that, to eventually become a citizen of the regime and to take advantage of all of the yes. things that citizenship entails. Precisely. And there are people, <laughs> I mean, like there's one, one book that I can think of um, by a guy, I think he might've been a Cato fellow at some point, but he is an Indian academic. I think he's passed away recently called Deepak Lal. And mm. he wrote a book called In Defense of Empire. Hmm. It's an Indian um, that wrote a book in defense called In Defense of Empire. And there's, I mean, there is a certain class of, of Indians who 
who um who enjoy like love British. It's always pointed out that all of the PG Woodhouse, like Jeeves and Worcester societies, uh, mm-hmm. like a, like a majority of them are in India. There's mm-hmm. like a, there is a real kind of Anglophilia in certain parts. So it's uh, th- the point is to say that it's a different at different times in history and from different people. People mm-hmm. perceive it differently, and I'm sure that you're going to see outpourings of support and grief in places in the Commonwealth where 99 or 100% of the people are, are quote, non-white, which right. is, you know, running counter to a lot of the stuff that you see you see on Twitter. But to get rid of that kind of thinking is the way to succeed. Mm-hmm. Empire is not the way to succeed. And it's not saying, none of this is to say that it, it is. I mean, I believe the exact opposite. I think it's, everything about it is is contrary to what one thinks when one believes in, you know, free trade and free markets and things like that. But, you know, if you are exacerbating uh, ethnic tensions, Mm -hmm. you're creating misery for generations. You're not creating success. And that's the thing is that we talk about it more than anyone in America, but we have been more successful than a lot of places. And if you look at this, because we're very unique in that sense, and people tend to forget this, they tend to think that every other country has had the same situation that we have had, mm-hmm. sort of multi-ethnic, you know, pluralistic, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. like religions from all over the world. That's not true, right? It's very kind of uniquely American. Now it's hitting Europe. And when it hits Europe, you see there's an election going on in Sweden that's coming up uh, this weekend. And the number two party uh, in the opinion polls is Sverige Demokraterna, the far right party that is like, we can't have this many immigrants. The, mm-hmm. the, that's That was why they became popular. No one wanted to talk about it. They were the party that did. And these are people who had like 0.01% of the vote when I got to Sweden. And everyone would sit down at a dinner party and be like, oh, you fucking Americans and you're racism and you're this and you're that. And it's like, <laughs> you guys got immigrants five years later and you couldn't take it. Yeah, You just like literally were like, we got to get rid of them. We're vi- voting in all these far right people. And that's not universal in Sweden, but there was a backlash. The point being is that, you know, we have done this in a reasonably successful way. Right. And now I can f- hear heads exploding. It's like, I'm talking about in the context of the world. Has it been perfect? It's been the opposite of perfect. It's been imperfect in every possible way, but it has worked in a way that it hasn't in a lot of other places that are concerned about, you know, the old joke about joining the European Union, you know, asking the Italian peasant, like, you think that this is going to be good? We'll be in a union with Switzerland and Luxembourg and, you know, England. And they say, you know, I can't even get along with the people in the next village. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, that's kind of what human history is. And just to say, oh, it's colonialism, because the way it's talked about is if you erase colonialism, mm-hmm. you erase all of that from history and it would have been actually wonderful. It would have been perfect. Everything would yeah. have been fine. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. You know, and it's, Queen Elizabeth doesn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really, it's, it's interesting. I mean, when you talk about like um, someone from like a place like India, like a former British colony and them having some um, affection for the empire and kind of writing in defense of it. It's interesting that the only kind of serious thing, the only way of looking at history that's generally regarded as serious is this kind of cynical, narrowly um, uh, negative view of mm. kind of the, the the particular kind of relationship that existed between the the colonial power and mm. the the local peoples. And the reality is that it's just more complicated than that. Yes. 
It's not to romanticize it and to suggest that it was all good, but an acknowledgement of the fact that there are cultural prerequisites to being able to Mm -hmm. exploit certain kinds of um, environmental um, uh, natural resources that might be in the ground is like really important. If you've got like iron in the ground here Mm -hmm. and you don't actually have the technologies to take advantage of it, like we could leave you alone in this region of the world for a century, for a millennia, and it will not matter. You won't progress because you are isolated. Um, yeah. And the fact that at some point there's this kind of connection that happens, that you become a part of the global community, even if it's in a way that involves some predation today, like several generations removed, like those people might actually benefit on net from being a part of the global community and from having had the opportunity for this kind of intellectual, philosophical, comp- commercial intercourse with the rest of the world that grants them the technology to kind of treat people's injuries, to, to mm-hmm. have better medicine, to have a sophisticated university system. Like those are things that happen. Like history is complicated and nuanced and messy. And the serious, sober way to look at this is like that, not to imagine that the only way to imagine the influence and role of the West in various other developed developed developing countries or underdeveloped countries or kind of former colonies is one where it's like, well, what has been lost there? But for mm-hmm. them, everything would have been wonderful and utopian and, and marvelous. And I, I'm not so sure that's the case. I suspect yeah, if you could you, actually run the, run the clock back and yeah. run, the, run the neutral experiment, I don't know that you have greater human flourishing today, more lives um, today, richer, wealthier peoples today. Uh, and, and when I say richer and wealthier, I mean in terms of quality of life, not just yeah, yeah, money, but yeah. money is also a way of measuring quality of life. I sure. don't know that that's the case. I think you might have more strife, more civil conflict, greater death due to illness. I think that ought to matter. Like just you saying that, I mean, just you saying that is like, I mean, saying anything, you know, positive, <laughs> it's like, but it's, it's people, not even positive. It's just no, like I, actually it, literally true. Right. Yeah. No, I'm just, but, but if you were to say, but I mean, you could, I would analogize it to this. It's if you go to prison for 15 years mm-hmm. and it's a brutal dehumanizing experience and maybe you didn't even belong there mm-hmm. and you come out, you can actually come out and say, you know, that was actually a good experience for this reason. And people do that all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. common, sure. common, common. Like they find God, they, they, they learn in prison, they do this and they, they totally change their worldview. And they were like, I wish this never happened, yeah. but there was a positive result at the end of it. You can even <laughs> say that and people will be like, no, that's, you're not allowed to say it. This is a, here's a tweet from somebody named Ebony, Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, who is a blue check mark. She is a mm-hmm. professor at University of Michigan. Sounds very And this serious. was a tweet that I thought was really hilarious. Um, telling the colonized how they should feel about their colonizers' health Colonize. and wellness is like telling my people that we ought to worship the Confederacy. And then a frowny face, which I think is great. Very academic, the frowny face. I, I guess that she's not talking about herself because she's from Detroit, by the way. I just looked it up. She grew up in Detroit. So I don't know. The coloni- their colonizers' health. Respect the dead when we're all writing these tweets, this is my favorite, in English, how'd that happen? Hmm? Right. We just chose this language? All right, where do we begin with that one? (laughs) That's my favorite. That's really top of the list. It's like, I am really sorry that when I go to Korea 
and I go into a, like a store, I speak English because that's like the lingua franca of the world. Yeah. In how that happened, I don't know, but Esperanto never caught on. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the fact that the British Empire, there's, we needed a lingua franca. We needed something that we could actually all communicate in, in the, you know, it doesn't work everywhere. But mm -hmm. you know what? If you're going to pick a language and you're stuck in the middle of nowhere, I'm going to bet this person's going to speak one other language than the one that I don't speak. What would it be? Probably English. Mm -hmm. I, and like, you know, this is why I speak English. How far back does one go? Do I go to my Italian grandparents and great grandparents? Yeah. Yeah. And go back to Mussolini and go back to, to the king of Italy and go back to the deprivations that the poor in Italy, I mean, just absolutely destitute and poor country mm -hmm. around the time that so many Italians were coming to America and be like, you know what? If it wasn't for these bastards in their <laughs> shitty economic policy, I would have not to speak like this. You know, I mean, yes. like, what, like yeah. what are you talking about? History is like, when you are looking at everything in your life, even the language you're tweeting in through the prism of, of like the awfulness mm -hmm. and the injustice of the recent historical past, but not even that recent, the mm -hmm. sort of recent historical past. Right, right. You have bigger problems because this is no way to process information, no way to, no way to live. Because I don't think any of these people who are academics are making affirmative cases for anything. Mm -hmm. They're just looking at the past and saying, I see an a long list right. of really bad events that happened to quote unquote, my people, you're from Detroit, by the way. <laughs> um, so I don't know who you're talking about. I think if you put a Nigerian guy in a room with you, you'd be like, I don't, what? You're from Detroit, what are you talking about? Like you have nothing in common with me. Like people in Africa where everyone is black with the exception of you know, certain whatever, places yeah, and certain Whatever people. that means, yeah. Whatever that means. It is like, they're not looking around like black, black, black. It's only when in the global context, and when we talk about things like this, and so when you put somebody like that in the classroom of somebody in, in, in University of Michigan, who's like, you know, you are my people. They're like, I'm literally from rural Nigeria and you're from Detroit. We have yeah. nothing in common. <laughs> you know, it's like what, this affinity of hue yeah. is such a poisonous thing that I really wish, and all of this is every opportunity that we have, every news event, every historical event, we have, an, we have we, let's inject it into it. And it's poisoning everything. Yeah. Hitchens said, you know, religion poisons everything. And uh, in, in his book, God is not great. I, um, I think uh, race poisons everything. Yes. Yes. Race. I think my formulation was race divides us, obscures the truth and generally ruins everything. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's, that's exactly that's right. I'll steal that from you. Yeah. And not, not footnote you. No, it's fine. Because I, I want to take it for the white man. <laughs> yeah, that's, I see what you did there. That's ours. <laughs> um, so it, we, we're going to keep this a little tight cause we got some other yeah. stuff going on. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk about a few other things that are going on. Um, the Bannon situation, um, for one, yeah. uh, which, so to catch folks up, Steve Bannon, um, is a rat mm -hmm. bag. Uh, he, yeah, he's one of one of Donald Trump's devotees. Uh, was cast mm -hmm. out of the the kind of inner circle um, early in the Trump presidency. Mm -hmm. Who also um, kind of but, hates him, but he knows yeah. where his bread is buttered. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is just yeah. it. And this this yeah. is a uh, he he got himself in a little bit of hot water at some point once he'd been kind of cast aside, um, but was ev eventually able to kind of reclaim some position within the MAGAverse. Um, he started this. Uh, scam, where he was trying yeah. to persuade people that by giving money to an organization that he and his buddies had pulled together, 
they would be able to privately fund the border wall. Yeah. Um, and promises were made expensive. throughout this process, um, yeah. including one of the, the key personal persons um, who were, was organizing this effort, insisting, I'm not going to be paid. I'm not taking a salary for doing this. Um, and it seems that one of the principal things this entity did with the money that it raised was pay salaries to the people involved yeah. um, and funnel money back to Steve Bannon. And Which, by the way, it would have been fine if you just didn't say that at the beginning, because like <laughs> the head of like the American Diabetes Association makes like a million dollars a year. Salary. I mean, you can just yeah. just say, don't just say like that was what the whole case against that. Uh, I was like a disabled uh, military veteran. I think he's like a guy who's like in a wheelchair or something. Mm -hmm. But he said like, yeah, I'm not going to take a salary. And it's like, you just say that you were going to take a salary. Yeah. Like that was, it was the linchpin of the whole thing was like, you lied about that and you shouldn't have lied about that. So but, it looks yeah. like at some point the Justice Department was looking at this and was potentially going to move on it. And there might have been some sort of prosecution of Steve. But mm -hmm. Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, uh, gave him a pardon. And mm -hmm. this is a federal pardon. So federal pardon. Steve yeah, only never faced federal. prosecution for this. Yeah, they don't apply states. Yeah. In New York, however, New York yeah. has decided um, in their infinite wisdom, which is almost certainly in some respects somewhat politically motivated, but oh, prosecutor is, yeah. prosecutorial discretion is a thing. Is a um, thing. And yeah. the, the, the discretion is being wielded in a way here um, that almost certainly kind of satisfies the political inclinations of folks. But all the same, if there was a crime that's committed, it's okay to prosecute it. And in this particular case, um, the crime that's being alleged is that Steve Bannon was responsible for defrauding people. Now, the case is going to have to be made. It'll have to be adjudicated in court. Um, I have kind of inclinations It's not a terribly big amount of money, though, is it? No, it's not. It's not a huge Which amount is, of money, huge amounts of money like that we're talking about It sounded like it was going to be bad, here. and it was like yeah. couple, it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It wasn't, you know, he would yeah. still... It's still so, bad, you know, it's still illegal. <laughs> but so, yes. Just, just, yeah. So this has to be adjudicated. I mean, obviously, it, it happens against kind of the backdrop of January 6th, because um, he recently got into a bit of legal trouble because he was subpoenaed by the January 6th community and he basically told them to uh, to suck a dick. The committee, um, but I like that you called them community. <laughs> Did I say community? Kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah it's committee, sorry. But it's, it does both work. start with C. Ways. Yeah, um, but it also works that they're a community of people. So, you know, it, it's it's interesting one hand. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much there is to say um, about this at this point because the case has not been adjudicated and we'll have to see what kind of case um, is actually brought forward, but it was certainly kind of visceral to see Steve Bannon like being perp walked in front of the cameras, yeah. screaming about how he's not yet begun to fight. Um, you know, yeah. Bannonisms um, for yeah, all yeah, intents yeah, and purposes. Yeah. He's, he's he's making what he can about this too, you know. But yeah. I think it was like the guy that that ban that blocked you, um, your favorite former guest in the show, Pope Hat. Oh um, yeah, d who who uh, is. Um, an interesting uh, Twitter brawler and likes mm. to, to yell at people on Twitter. Only, only he, like one of three hosts of this show. Yeah, he I don't really think It could only be I one of to, three. Only could be I, one of three, and he, he yeah, made his why. choice. Wonder hmm. why. Wonder hmm. why. Racist Black Matt. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but he tweeted something like about how much he loathes Bannon um, and was like, yeah, but I also loathe these like totally unnecessary perp walks. Mm -hmm. Which makes you think that it's like, uh, if you didn't want me to think it was really political to begin with, that you wanted to pursue this case, yep. you would have done this if it was, you know, some low ranking democratic assemblyman or something. 
and not in this kind of mania for we got to get somebody out of the out of the Trump. But they've got a lot of them too, by the way. It's like I mean, it is pretty interesting, and it should make you if you're a MAGA devotee, it should make you rethink things when the number of people you have seen led into the courtroom on handcuffs is you can't do that on nothing. You can't just make that shit up. Well, that's because just it. it. Yeah. It, 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 there is something there. I mean, like, I mean, you, you, you look at, um, Paul Manafort and these, so many scumbags that, that, uh, came close to the campaign. I mean, DC had like this conservative apparatus and, you know, you and I have been around DC for a while and we know a lot of people in that apparatus and none of them served in the Trump administration it was all of a sudden was all these C and D listers that you'd never heard of that like wrote seven blog posts for Breitbart.com, Breitbart.com. And they came into this administration and they're all with kind of dollar signs in their eyes in a lot of ways. But yeah, I don't, I don't love the fact that New York has taken on this role of, you know, Trump and the NRA and Steve Bannon. And it's like, yeah, there's connections to all of them. You can do it, but it does look curiously political, which again, does not mean that Steve Bannon is not guilty. And Steve Bannon is somebody who has made a career out of being a professional Trumpy. He, mm-hmm. he was somebody a very good career before that. Like, you know, the Seinfeld stuff, he had a cut of that syndication deal. He was making like documentaries that were kind of neoconish in some ways. Then he was running Breitbart. And then he became the eminence grease of the, the Trump <laughs> world. And, you know, he's still doing it. I mean, he's a dead ender. And if you ever listen to that show that he does... It's like, I don't believe having spent some amount of time with Bannon and one night spending, I think about six hours talking to him to a point that I actually had to cut the conversation off. We had, we had no more batteries. We had no more cards for the camera. We were just, the conversation went on forever and talking to him both on and off camera. The man is very cynical. He did tell me off camera that he loved AOC. Um, not surprising considering he's become a class warrior mm-hmm. in his, uh, in his later years, mm-hmm. but the guy doesn't have a tremendous amount of respect for Donald Trump. And when he's on, like, so when I saw him and I was doing a piece with, about the, my pillow guy <laughs> uh-huh. and I went, I went to the, my pillow fucking, you know, election fraud conference in North Dakota <laughs> or South Dakota, which is one of the dumbest thing. It was just like, like a Super Bowl of stupidity. It was unbelievable. <laughs> but Bannon was next to the thing and like, kind of like waved over like he was doing his radio show from there. And I know he thinks that Mike Lindell is crazy. I know he thinks he's an idiot. Uh-huh. I know it. I just, I know it. I'll just yeah. say, I know it. And yet he's there. And like, that is the type of person that you should not trust. And yeah. that you should think is like, he is loving like I say, like, I don't like these perp walks. I don't think Bannon thinks that. I think he loves it because mm-hmm. he's like yelling at the camera. He's like, you're going to have to kill me. You can milk this. You can milk yeah. this. Yeah. What do you say? Yeah. Like, I have to, not until I'm dead. Like, you, you have to kill me to shut me up. It's like, mm-hmm. what? You acting like you're a whistleblower. Mm-hmm. You're actually on trial. We'll be on trial potentially for stealing money from credulous MAGA people. Mm-hmm. You won't shut me up. You're not revealing anything. What are you talking mm-hmm. about? It's just the whole thing is like the over wildly ridiculously overused word grift but it does apply here you know yeah. he's been he's been been milking this stuff for a long time yeah i mean it, it is it's always worth remembering like when you think about um you know the the muller the muller investigation and the actual um convictions that they were able to earn the few people who did end up spending a little bit of time um behind bars so to speak um that it has a lot to do with the quality, the caliber of the people that 
inhabit yeah. Trump world and that inhabited yeah. the Trump administration. Um, you can't say yeah. that they were uniformly bad. There were some people who were good, honorable people stupid, who stayed, <laughs> who stayed, who stayed there because they wanted to try to to kind of rein in this administration. And yeah. in, in a lot of respects, one has to say thank you to them. Um, All hated by Bannon, by the way. Those are, you know, in particular, that was the pejorative that he used was always the generals. Mm -hmm. All the military people, um, you know, the McMasters of the world, he loathed. He hated them all. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they were kind of institutionalists. And they didn't like seeing, you know, the levers of government in the hand of somebody that was, like, unstable. Like, like legitimately unstable. And so trying to bring some kind of normalcy to that was, was I mean, Bannon loves chaos. He, I think he told Ron Radosh one time, was in a piece that Ron wrote um, at a party that he was a Leninist. And he meant that hmm. in the sense of like Lenin in 1917 blowing up institutions. He wanted to destroy everything. That was the idea to go into DC and destroy everything. And that is not, that's a revolutionary mindset. And I don't like revolutionary mindsets because they never end well. You never see a revolution end well. Never, 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 never. Even when there's a justification, the French Revolution where... You know, it starts out about something about taxation when you have, you know, these aristocrats who do not pay taxes and their tax burden is falling on all these peasants and they're living in Versailles and they have a revolution because of it. And it ends with the Jacobins and the guillotines and in a terror. And the Russian revolution ended in a terror. It's like revolutionary mindsets are not, it's just not the way my brain operates. And I'm scared of people like Bannon who who want a kind of revolutionary way of going like, and, and you know, when you convince people that the deep state is one contiguous thing that mm -hmm. can be and has to be destroyed, it's like, no, there are bad parts of the government. I mean, that's why we believe what we believe, but it's not something that you can, you can go in with a, with a bunch of guns and say, all right, it's time to just undo it all. It just doesn't work that way. As yeah, we saw, well, I, I mean, mean I, it, it, you know. it could work that way. It just wouldn't be very good. <laughs> it just wouldn't be good. It, it would be bloody. It'd that be way. very, yeah. And Trump didn't do that, of course. I mean, the swamp got swampier. It, did, it wasn't drained. And I think everybody who's a MAGA supporter knows that. Mm -hmm. I think they do. I think in their heart of hearts, they know, you know, in four years, the swamp did not get less swampy. It's hard to say. That, like the state of yeah, polarization it, it being such as it is, like both both sides. Yeah, it really is like there are these these two contingents. You have the MAGAs and I don't know what to call the the kind of worst sycophants on the on the left who believe the worst imaginable things, who have the most apocalyptic perspective on on Donald Trump, this kind of ahistorical idea that we live now today in the worst of all possible times. We were talking about this a little earlier. And I think in a lot of respects, it's the same kind of narcissism that kind of animates people's concern um, about uh, the colonial powers and how ter uniquely terrible they were to us and how this is the only possible right way mm -hmm. to look at and imagine history in much the same way. Like the only possible way to imagine the current moment is to, it's, is to s insist that the, the current state of political division, um, the, the kind of January 6thification of everything, um, that is... You know, we're on the precipice of a civil war and that this is obviously worse than any other prior time in yeah, the, the sure. kind of American experiment. And it, yeah. and it just seems like so, so obviously untrue. Um, things were definitely dicey during COVID. There was a lot of, of um, you know, grave uncertainty, I think is a good phrase to use. Yeah. Um, and it's, 
in many respects, kind of the the speed with which like a lot of the the kind of unsettling, unraveling like happened, the weird kind of political fractiousness that was already that already existed for other reasons, um, that was accelerated because of the conditions that were brought about by the pandemic and this being a global phenomena. But in general, like the state of America, like relative to the 1970s, the 1960s, like yeah. <laughs> the actual yeah. civil war. Imagine like, if you had Twitter when there was bombs being set off in New York City all the time by the, the Puerto Rican independence terrorists. And I mean, geez. I mean, Brian Burroughs daily, book, daily bombings. Yeah. yeah. That we, we talk about quite a bit is a great, the, the great thing about that book is that, is that it just, it's a great book to look at now to kind of scene set what was like in, in the 1970s and, you know, late sixties, early seventies. And, you know, I was mentioning this to you and, um, yesterday, two days ago, I was in my hometown of Concord, Massachusetts, um, for an event at the Concord public library for, um, one of my, uh, friends and, and mentors. And I'm very, very close friends with, uh, her son is the great, um, I don't even know if I want to put this in there, but it's a, not put this word in there, a great liberal, uh, historian mm -hmm. Doris, Doris, Doris Kearns Goodwin, um, who I grew up around and who was very influential to me and is, is just one of the sweetest, nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. Just a really mm -hmm. phenomenal person and brilliant too. And they were dedicating um, a part of the library to her and her recently, I guess 2018, past husband, uh, Dick Goodwin, who you know wrote speeches for Kennedy, wrote speeches for LBJ, quit over the Vietnam War, wrote the unbelievable um, We Shall Overcome speech after Selma, the words of which are kind of emblazoned on the top of the kind of wing of the library. Really fantastic. Um, but I bring this up because during the question period, the first question, she's talking about history and she's talking about Lincoln and FDR and, um, and just being really, it's really interesting. And she was giving a great little talk. And the first question was, you know, we're in these polarized times. So, you know, you always grimace when the mic goes to the first person. You're like, oh, here we go. We're in these really polarized times. And then the question is about Trump and about the threats to democracy. And the people who ask these questions, there's, I think, three or four questions and two of them were these. The people who ask these questions don't realize that they are what they're talking about, these polarized times. This was a talk about Lincoln and about her um, recently, fairly recently departed husband, who was like an incredible, you know, force in American history. Whether you agree with their opinions or not doesn't make a difference, but hugely influential in talking about his books. They had donated his books um, to the library. And it was a library, by the way, that it was in their house and that I made extensive use of when I was a kid. And it made me want to live amongst books too. Hmm. And the joke was I was going to bring two books to, I forgot two books to the library that I had stolen from them in high school <laughs> and say, I want to put these on the shelf uh, that, that have notations in them and everything. But, um, but yeah, people like this, but you, this but you couldn't be, you couldn't bear to part with them. I, yeah. I couldn't bear to part with them. They're just, <laughs> it was they're mine more now. than two. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that was, that, I, I colonized the books, but um, you know, it's funny because the question, and, and Doris had a great answer to both of them. In both times, I mean, again, this is she's very much a, a, a you know, a Democrat. I mean, she's friends with the Kennedys and Obamas and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And she was like, no, it's, as a historian, no, it's not, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, paraphrase her too much, but she's like, no, it's a, you look in history and there are times that are so much worse. 
And this, and she's like citing like areas of history that people don't even remember. Turn of the century, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, all these times. And it's like, it, it always feels like that we're on the precipice of disaster and democracy is slipping through our hands. And so she was basically saying, no, I don't, I don't think this is a unique time to, to, to be worried about. She's done. I think she was worried, but not to be worried about in this way that, that it's all going to come, come crumbling down. But I just thought it was really interesting that nobody who was asking that question realized that they're a part of that polarization, that they went to a thing that was about Lincoln and, you know, and Teddy Roosevelt and FDR and the Kennedys and said, I'm going to use my first question to ask about Donald Trump. You're obsessed with it. These people are obsessed with it. All they can think about is like, you know, and they're older as a crowd of older people, older, like Massachusetts people, like the mask ratio was about 90%. It was kind of crazy. I totally forgot. I went to a couple of stores in Concord and they were like mask on. And I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. what? Did I just walk into a time machine? Like mask on. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's just the, it's a very different way of like living. And I guarantee you that these people spend most of their day watching MSNBC. And, you know, reading Twitter and blogs and just scaring the utter bejesus out of each other. And, you know, having ag- other historians mm-hmm. like the, like Michael Beschloss and Timothy Snyder and stuff saying like, don't sleep with one eye open because, mm-hmm. because we're losing our country. It is so ubiquitous that people think this now. And it's just frightening to me. Is that, mm-hmm. again, it's to the previous thing, it's the obsession with race the obsession, everything, the racialization of everything. It's like the queen dies and it's an issue. It's about race, you know, almost immediately. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, my people being subjugated by this, the old woman in the corgis, um, <laughs> you know, and everything is seen through this very dire political lens. Mm-hmm. And that is what the polarization is about. It's not about the MAGA people coming out to rallies and shouting, lock her up or, you know, fake news. It's that too. But we don't have to talk about that because that's a default for everybody. It's you too. Look at yourself, why you're obsessed with politics, why you've been overwhelmed by politics in the past five years. It's Donald Trump's fault. Yeah, okay, fine. But it's also incumbent upon you to check yourself and be like, I don't have to think that the world is ending every day. And you need to fight these elections that are coming up and cast your ballot. Go, go campaign for your candidate. But to, to, to be like, you know, is democracy over, Miss Historian? Uh, and the historian says, well, no, no, because my specialty is writing books about pivot points in, in American history, including, you know, the, the book Team of Rivals, which, you know, became the Steven Spielberg movie and um, is a really interesting way of looking at a presidency where there had been 16,000 books written about Lincoln before and about all the people that were running and competing for that office and how they um, came together in that cabinet and what that meant. Um, so it's like, it, that stuff is like, you know, you, you ask a person like that, are we at the, this hinge point of history where everything's going to change? It's like, well, maybe, but don't calm down a little bit. It's not going to be that bad, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. We'll get through um, it. One uh, Doris um, Kearns Goodwin question for you. Yeah. Um, did you ever ask her about Box 13? Box the, 13. This is the LBJ election scandal in Texas, like the rigged election, oh, that missing so, box. So, well, that's actually really interesting. I'm hoping to do a sit down with her because oh, we, had dinner, we had dinner afterwards and yeah. we were just, I, I, you know, was sitting across from her we were talking about things. And I, you know, she was, I was 16 
Mm-hmm. I was 17 and, and, and I was around them and it was just such a really invigorating experience. The person who introduced her said, you know, he, the guy who was like a li- guy from the library and he's like, I walked into their house the first time and there was uh, like Bobby Kennedy Jr. was like at the kitchen table, like drinking a cup of coffee. And I was like, you know, that was for me too. Yeah. And I didn't, I grew up with parents who didn't go to college. I grew up with parents, you know, who had no academic background, didn't grow up in a house of books. And I go into this place and it was like this, just like portal into this totally different world that I was totally fascinated by. And one of the things was, um, I didn't get to, I didn't talk to her about that because I didn't know anything at the time. I wanted direction on how to learn things and what I should focus on. And I told her actually at dinner that one of the things that was funny was that she disabused me of conspiracy theories. She was mm. the one that put me on this path against, because I watched the JFK movie and I started oh, getting yeah. really interested in that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, whoa, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. And you know, Dickie worked, Richard Goodwin worked for JFK. He wrote uh-huh. speeches for JFK. He, they knew the Kennedys very well. He wrote speeches for Bobby Kennedy. And you know, I said this stuff and Jim Garrison and Doris, she had no memory of this, by the way. She was like, Jim Garrison was like mentally ill and he was like a crazy person and you should look at this, that, and the other. And I was like, huh, okay. But the movie. And I did. <laughs> yeah. I was like, but the movie. And I did. And I was like, holy shit, this guy's like a lunatic. Yeah. And, and it's so funny. And I said to her, I was like, Doris, you know, this ends with me getting, um, my editor getting an email from Donald, uh, from, from um, Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. saying that I had defamed him in the pages of the Daily Beast. Um, so you won in the end. And that was the thing. <laughs> but to the LBJ thing, she her first book was about LBJ. She went and lived with LBJ on the ranch after mm-hmm. he resigned and um, was, I think, going to assist in writing his book. I can't remember the actual. Uh, but she knew LBJ very, very well and mm-hmm. got very close to him at the end of his life mm-hmm. and um, wrote a book about it and would know all about that stuff and particularly this stuff on the Texas elections, right? Mm-hmm. It was always that. And look, the same thing is true with the Kennedys. I mean, remember, um, you know, Nixon was very upset about mm-hmm. uh, Pennsylvania and I believe Illinois. Illinois, uh, yeah, yeah. Being, Chicago being mob, delivered yeah. to the Kennedys mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, chose not to say anything about it, but was privately thought it was, uh, thought he, he, was, he was robbed. Yeah. And decided to regroup in 64, obviously, Goldwater runs and then regroup and win the election in 68 and 72, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I think probably the way you do it. Whereas Donald Trump talks with no evidence whatsoever, obviously, mm-hmm. endlessly about about uh, this stuff, which I think is like, it, people are tired of hearing about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But that next time when, when we sit down, I'll talk to her about that. Yeah, sure. it is interesting. I mean, we're, we're talking about essentially two kind of legitimate like electoral scandals that have something to do with people who were either explicitly seeking the presidency or who were, you know, taking stepping stones to get to much higher office and the kind of pronounced level of electoral skepticism that exists today um, in, in our polity is, it it is weird um, compared to like any other period of my, of my lifetime Um, in the sense that we've just kind of seen this steady um, ratcheting up of concern, like beginning with Bush v. Gore um, and, and a lot of that occurring on the left primarily, um, in terms of the, the belief that this last election was stolen, he stole it from us, um, yes. but continuing on and essentially every election in my lifetime, every presidential election has been kind of increasingly clouded in these allegations, um, ratcheting up in terms of like the urgency and the ferocity of them 
um, that the election was stolen, that it's about to be stolen, that they, they're, this is the one that they're going to steal for sure. Um, it's like, that's genuinely disconcerting. Um, but again, all these things have to be viewed in, in totality. Um, and the real question yeah. becomes like what we, what we end up doing about this as a, as a polity yeah. and whether or not there are any kind of policy remedies l- that can be delivered l- to make things more transparent and yeah, because I mean, there's a number of ways of uh, stealing elections. I mean, or, or or cheating in elections. And I remember one, and I don't, I I don't know if this is a wives' tale, and I'll have to look this up. And I'm sure the great thing about our listeners is they tell us. I just remember. Oh, they this know things. Just, yeah, it literally popped into my head after 20 years, and I don't know if it was the 52 Senate election that that Kennedy ran against Henry Cabot Lodge. Um, but there was one election, there was something, I thought it was a Kennedy-related, where they put a name on the ballot that was very similar to another name. Ran somebody, like, to, like with, a, with, a, with a name, I think it was in a primary or something, of somebody with the name of the opponent. So it would basically split that vote because they put somebody on. The, this is like a, a wives' tale, I think. But that, I think, was like what people thought of the Kennedys as a political machine was that they will stoop, there's nothing they wouldn't stoop to to get, to get into power. And, you know, was the 60 election stolen? There's all this conversation about what happened in the, the Senate le- election in, in 52, et cetera. But yeah, I have to look that up because, I mean, there's all these like shenanigans that have been said, but the thing about the conspiracy theory stuff and about uh, Oliver Stone and about Kennedy in general was that it's, it is the most fertile ground for conspiracy theories that most of the stuff you know about it turns out not to be true. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have mm-hmm. to look that one up. I remember there being some ballot shenanigans of like people with similar names to try to split split a primary vote or something but anyway yeah did you want to talk by the way about about the duke thing not the duke thing the byu oh thing? byu yeah. yeah so i guess well it was a duke game at byu it was a duke game. Yeah, the yeah, volleyball yeah. game with the young lady whose name is escaping me at the moment who during this nationally televised women's volleyball game um uh one of the duke players insists that she hears uh, someone from the stands calling her a uh, racial slur, um, and at some point notifies repeatedly her coaches. Think, right? Yeah, notifies her coaches during the game, um, who spin up kind of the folks at BYU, and even law enforcement gets involved. And there is this pronounced effort to find and identify who was doing this. Um, reportedly, the harassment and abuse continued throughout the course of the game, uh, yeah. according to the kind of letter that she wrote later. Um, detailing all of this and posting it to the internet um, uh, with a hashtag more than an athlete, um, maybe more than a volleyball player um, to she's barred from LeBron James. Um, she insisted that every single time she went up to serve, you know, she was showered with this, this awful um, deluge of like racist mockery that it was happening to all of her um, black teammates, particularly. And that even that they were kind of heckling them by name, but only the black teammates. And what ended up happening, what's ended up happening is it became kind of this national news story, which is somewhat understandable um, to the extent something like that is actually true as opposed to just alleged. Um, but as this has been investigated um, mm. by BYU, by local law enforcement, um, the, it's turned out that there is no cooperation for like any element of her claims um that the person who cameras was identified there, yeah the cameras people, there it was nationally televised so yeah. there was local cameras as well yeah. as you know broadcast cameras it was also the, pointed out that in the section that she said it was coming the student from, section right the yeah. student section was also full 
of black students too. BYU basketball players. Yeah. Yeah. And And they they were asked, like, did you hear anything? And they said, no. So no one has come forth to say that that they heard someone screaming nigger um, or anything of the sort. Um, But, you know, weeks removed after glossy write-ups in some national publications, including the New York Times, um, ESPN doing a, a rather prominent interview with her um, and some nefarious character at USA Today. What's her name? Jesse? Is Jesse something, right? Jesse Smollett? No. Was that her name? I can't <laughs> no. remember. Just, I don't remember. Justina Smollett? I don't remember. I'd have to look. <laughs> um, but this is the thing. Like, I, I think it is entirely possible that this young woman, just looking at the situation now, like in retrospect, it's entirely possible that she thinks that she yeah, thought totally. she heard something. Uh, it actually um, seems likely that she considering she, she heard said something. it during the game. Yeah, yeah, it's possible she thought she said, heard something once. I believe her godmother or some other oh, relation God, that, was yeah, godmother, uh, yeah, a, a, a really political, some, some sort of political actor, um, or at least agitator, um, actually sent out a tweet early on in the scandal suggesting that you know they were calling her an N-word. And it, it, it was, the tweet essentially ratcheted up the, the allegation. And it seems as though the perhaps there was some original thing that she thought really happened, but the accounts have become increasingly embellished. It seems to me, um, mm-hmm. you know, she she called her dad uh, from the game. Her dad shows up on CNN and is talking to someone, you know, on national television um, about this horrible experience that his daughter reported to him about what occurred at the game. You know, is it possible that she completely contrived this? I suppose it is. Is it possible she really thought she heard something and didn't just, you know, send her dad out there to made to be look like a fool um, Mm -hmm. when it eventually comes out that nothing happened here Uh, for the moment? You know, again, people have investigated this. No one can find any corroborating evidence. Um, As so far as I understand it, no one on her team has come out and said, oh yeah, I also heard that thing. They've been generally supportive of her. But today, um, BYU, after having previously issued multiple statements insisting on, you know, how how horrible this is and how they were going to kind of come together as a community and, banning and responsibility to do things from and banning a, a, a student, a young person who was attending a women's volleyball game voluntarily, not a member yeah. of the team, it's not even clear he's a member of the campus community, but no. this was a passion of his. Um, and yeah. a member of law enforcement described him as perhaps being like somewhat on the developmentally spectrum. challenged. Yes, I think, they, I think they said. Yeah. And he something was like that, yeah. originally, according to the BYU, um, according to earlier reports, and according to the BYU statement today, um, originally he was identified as the person who was responsible for using the slurs. Per their investigation, which is consistent with the law enforcement investigation, like this just did not happen. This yeah. this kid was not responsible for that, um, and BYU has formally rescinded the ban that they had placed on him before this indefinite. That's ban. good. That usually doesn't happen. Um, so that's a that's a good thing um, that this is that this has gone away. Um, what's bad though is I haven't seen much in the way of kind of media reporting. Certainly not nearly as muscular. Times follow up. Um, do you looking think into this story, I, I suspect not. I suspect because not. if there's not, it, it it happened, right? In the consciousness, it happened. If 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 you don't have a follow up of these things, and let's look at three things we've talked about recently. It's a very short period of time, by the way. 
the shooting that we we uh, of the of the guy in I think the Bronx and a guy from WNYC or one of these uh, the Gothamist or something had and I think you um, responded to him had said uh, this guy was an unarmed black man shot in the back mm-hmm. and it's on the video and then when the video is unclear and it looks as if the guy turned around and uh, fired a gun. I talked to somebody who's a friend of ours who's in the NYPD mm-hmm. and listened to the show. And he yeah, I think made I a bunch to of, him too. We messaged. Yeah, him. he made a bunch of good points. He's like, it's, you know, you can't just plant a gun. It's like, there is like 50, 70 people that show up. Yeah. And they do ballistics and everything and they close everything down. And it's like, it has to be a conspiracy so immense, you know? Yeah. And like, because the idea would be like, oh, they, they planted the gun. He didn't have a gun. Um, the guy, well, how did the cop get shot? Well, he must have been friendly fire. It's like, well, there's the way they were situated, he would have had to turn to the yeah. right instead of the guy and then shoot him, shoot yeah. his fellow cop and didn't make any sense. It's completely insane. Had, yeah. Completely insane. But this went around, right? Mm-hmm. And then we had a we had one recently in Kansas City. A woman, a black woman who was shot by the police when she was running away from them and shot in the back. Then the video comes out. And she's turning around with a gun. With a gun in her point, hand. Pointing at that. Yeah. But and all the original the reports there were that she was pregnant. She was pregnant. And she wasn't and pregnant. Police she had shot a pregnant woman. They shot a pregnant woman in the a back. A pregnant black woman. Yes. But in the back. <laughs> and then like this went everywhere. Everybody's like doing this and everything. And then like turns out, oh, that, that didn't happen. So like every time this thing, these kind of stories where people are like the mania of it, because we talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's all we talk about. Mm-hmm. And then like, oh, there's one, there's one, there's one. And they, so everyone runs to it and, and reports on it. And then it's like later they figure out, well, it's not one. And, but it, the damage is done mm-hmm. because you have all these things where I guarantee there's somebody out there um, who's just like, yeah, there's the Kansas City thing. There was the, uh, 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 you know, thing in the Bronx. There's this game. And it's like, but the follow-ups, the stuff, it turns out none of them are true because it's the only story these days. It's the only kind of thematic thing that you can jump the gun on and no pun intended, jump the gun on and report <laughs> what you think should be true or what right. feels to or be what, true. Or what you want to be true. Or what you want is, to be which true. Which is weird. It's really weird weird that there are people who need need it to be true. They need it to be true. The NYPD is hunting and murdering black men. And I love finding out this stuff's not true. I love it not for politics because I don't like seeing innocent people being shot in the back. I don't like people being called the N-word when they're trying to play their game or when they're not trying to play their game, anything. That stuff is is like, we don't don't want these things to be true because if they're true, it's a bad thing. But- the accumulation of these stories that get mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. And the only reason that Jesse Smollett one got number one, the amount of attention that it got, including the vice president tweeting about it and was because <laughs> he was a celebrity, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd never heard of the dude, but he was a celebrity and that got all the attention. That's they put in, which is the reason they put the enormous amount of resources into solving something that was not solvable because it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was solvable in the sense that the two MAGA racists were Nigerian weightlifters, but beyond that, um, <laughs> you know, the typical shot by Nigerian weightlifter. But, uh, but yeah, like, I mean, this stuff, the, the, the problem with it is, is not like, oh, good, it turned out not to be true. It's like, no, the first story is never followed up upon. And the, the ultimate kind of cosmic damage this causes is it allows people to think it's just everywhere. It happens all the time. And it's like, yeah, every time one of these things comes up is always mm-hmm. some question about it. The real cut and dry ones, George Floyd. But that's not even cut and dry in the sense that, like, that he was motivated by race, but it was mm-hmm. cut and dry in the sense that we have a video, the video showed what it showed, 
And there's a toxicology report. There was blah, blah, blah. It was everything we know about it and all the conversations we had about it. But that was one that was like, okay, that's what it was. Yeah, some, something, don't know went, why. something went wrong here. Yeah. Something went wrong here. Something right. went wrong here. And he should not have done what he did. And that was something that was felt by many, many, many police officers and many people in his industry and law enforcement. And that's why it got so much attention. It was like, because it's so rarely so cut and dry. Yeah. It's it, very rare. That's a good thing that it's rare. It, that it's it's funny. I mean, the, so the, the shooting we were talking about was Rameek Smith. Um, and this was in May, um, of, of this year of 2020, um, that he was shot. Um, and we didn't get the footage, um, of the shooting, the lapel camera footage until about a week ago. And I saw the first thing I saw on Twitter about this was a post from, uh, Rebecca Kavanaugh who is apparently oh, a, yeah. a defense attorney. Um, and to date, like right now, her tweet about this, insisting that the body cam footage that had been released definitively disproved the yeah. NYPD's account. Not that it's that, ambiguous. You know, this man had it's shot definitive. three times, that it was clear in May, NYPD shot and killed 25-year-old Rameek Smith after they claimed he fired a gun at them. Eric Adams hailed the cops as heroes and called Rameek a career criminal. Now body cam video shows Rameek never fired a gun and the cops shot him in the back as he was running away. Then there's this very long thread. But this tweet, 16,000 retweets, 42.1K likes. And those, those numbers have gone up this week. At the beginning of the week, it was somewhere around like 38,000. Yeah. Um, so yeah. the story is continuing to go ham but there's a problem, and the problem is that the video always, always showed him shooting. One had to actually do a little bit of looking here. And there's uh, there's two important points of failures. One is the NYPD released this video in the stupidest possible way. I mean, they didn't do, and, and it's possible that if they had done a more sophisticated analysis and a more detailed presentation, people would have referred to it as copaganda. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but either way, the and this is not dissimilar from the conversations that we've had about San Francisco um, and the DA there. Like part of the job is communications, is mm -hmm. the public relations dimension. If you are mm -hmm. going to give give people transparency, then you also have to give them context. And releasing the lapel camera footage from the police without doing any sort of stabilization, without doing any kind of optimizing on that video to make We're it putting a circle possible for people to yeah. see what's going on. Or yeah. providing some context about, you know, we think this is a weapon here. At seven seconds, we hear the first gunshot. We, you know, at, at eight seconds, we see the muzzle flare. We, we can actually see a glint from what we believe is the handgun here. Like, this is the evidence, you know, here, take it. We're also going to continue the investigation and there will be, you know, a, a bigger report uh, in, the, in the weeks to come. But give people some context here, but also yeah. just for journalists for people who imagine themselves as activists who care about these issues, like they should have done what I did, which yeah. was find the footage, download that shit, throw it into iMovie. If you're having yeah. trouble seeing what's every, going on- That's every laptop throw has it that, in iMovie. Has that. This is basic shit. Yeah. Slow yeah. the footage down. And this is precisely what I did. I went online, I grabbed mm. the footage from YouTube, ripped it from there, slowed it down in iMovie, and just tweaked the the tint and the contrast a little bit so I could get a better look at what was happening there. And by so doing, like I saw the puff of smoke and I immediately 
sent a DM to Pete Moscos and to um, another one of our friends um, who is affiliated with the NYPD. And I, I shot him a screen cap and I said, I want to be sure I'm looking at the right thing because I'm seeing an article from Gothamist that, that says, and I'm seeing this ridiculous tweet thread from this woman that is going completely nuts that says explicitly, there was no gun fired. I see and I hear a gunshot and I see a puff of smoke. Why is this not being reported? Um, and you and see it, by the way, right before the cop opens right fire. Before the cop, I mean, right, right before, before the cop's like, gun shows up. I mean, and, he and sees I imagine it's the police officer r- r- um, removing his gun from the holster, aiming it, and returning fire. That is precisely yeah. what it looks like to me. Um, yeah. But again, I can't know. that there, there needs to be a thorough, transparent investigation for us to get to what's happening here. But there's and also I, one thing about that, too, is people are like, oh, you know, they went and uh, defamed his character in the New York Post and everything. They defamed his character by pointing out that he'd been popped on a gun charge like eight months before. Right. I mean, this is not like a guy who was, you know, the local pastor, you know, giving out uh, turkeys uh, on Thanksgiving or something. Mm-hmm. It's not surprising that they were, they, you know, a guy's running from the police. I don't know why. We don't, I don't know. Well, that's just it. That. We, we don't know. They, apparently these guys weren't in uniform. We don't know why they approached him at all, actually. Yeah. Like, we don't know that, that there isn't more footage that the NYPD is sitting on. Um, there's been like subsequent reporting, Matt uh, Katz at uh, Public Radio, I believe, the New York Public Radio. Um, we've exchanged a couple of emails and he wrote the original story for The Gothamist, essentially pushing the same narrative that there was no gunshot um, in the video, that this was inconsistent with their um, with the original NYPD account. But after we talked, um, he went back and he took a couple of days to thoroughly go over the video. They brought in an expert to analyze the footage. I know that they talked to, um, we exchanged some messages and Moscos is, is quoted in the, in the in article, the that, in the follow-up story that ended up getting published. Um, so he, he really kind of dotted his I's and crossed his T's there. I think he probably could have been, uh, he seemed to hedge a little bit more then I think makes sense given yeah. what we can actually see on the video yeah. at this stage. Um, and the yeah, fact he should have got that expert first, but, kind of but, but credit for going what's back. going on. But yeah, dude, honestly, like it, we, you know? we live in a, we live in a time now where the guy who writes the BYU opinion editorial um, for USA today, when someone confronts him and says, Hey, do you think you might do a follow-up? Because it looks like you mean that someone being you. <laughs> yeah. 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 It looks like there might be additional details. You get blocked. Yeah. You get blocked. And several days yeah. later, a second opinion editorial is written saying she's telling the truth, apparently because you believe it. Um, and anyone who says otherwise is a MAGA conspiracy theorist nut job. Yeah. I mean, it, that's not the are, job. So yeah, I mean, shout out to it, Matt for, for, for yeah, doing, yeah, yeah. No, for doing no, no. his job, for, for, for revisiting the, job, the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for getting it right, um, the the second I would prefer time that they would and not, providing they would not some have additional context it. about lapel cameras. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you shouldn't have to. I think. But I think look, it's, I get it. It's you know, a mistake it's, made. You know, it's a mistake's made, and everyone's trying to be first in this in this culture. Um, but you know, it's it's when you leave that stuff up there, when you leave those like is that woman's tweet? It's up forty one. It's, it's still years. up. Yeah, it's still up. Is There's that, no additional post there. She did today. Does that count as misinformation or disinformation? It is, it's We're totally always, misinformation. It's we totally rail about it, but we rail about it when it's when it's uh, misinformation, disinformation that goes against the narrative that we want to be true. Yeah, because that would seem to qualify. Um, because I, I, she, did she tweet the cat skies, um, follow up? I, she, I did. So. she did. Oh, she five did. Five hours ago. Oh, she did. That has 18 retweets and 21 likes. 
18 retweets. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. But granted, you know, a couple days have passed, but I, I would bet a billion dollars that it doesn't attain the man. If I wrote that tweet initially, I would feel, I wouldn't be able to sleep if it turned out not to be true. I'd feel so fucking terrible. I mean, I I would also take it down, take it down, down. take it down. She hasn't done that. Um, I mean this, this kind of conduct from, from someone who, you know, works in the justice system, um, who, who has to represent people, um, who is supposed to have, um, uh, a reputation for, for truthfulness um, mm-hmm. and integrity. I mean, this kind of shit ought to be able to, like, you should get disbarred for this. It's not cancel culture. It's just like kind of a, a level of um, kind of professionalism uh, yeah, that yeah. that ought to be expected from people who are working in the in the justice system, who are oftentimes taking taxpayer dollars in order to represent people. Like, it's a matter of like, just a question of basic integrity. Um, yeah. And I'd say that Rebecca Kavanaugh, like, just doesn't have it. A lot of her ridiculous assertions about friendly fire and all this That's other crap, true. like it's baseless just, speculation. To, and, yeah, and speculation trying to fill holes. Yeah, it's dangerous. You're trying to fill holes. That your your story doesn't make any sense. So you like, okay, well, what about him getting shot? It's like, okay, well, friendly fire. It's like you're right. not looking at angles. You're not looking. I mean, it's crazy. Even, even uh, Oliver Stone and JFK faked the you know, back into the left <laughs> angles. Right. You know, come on, back um, into that, the left. <laughs> yeah, that's like, come on. That's you got to at least gonna do something like that. One but, bullet. You know, <laughs> but it's the magic bullet that killed this guy in the back and came it's back and shot the movie. other officer. It's a good um, movie. Boy, yeah, I, I was it's, similarly entranced by that film. Yeah, watched it many it's, times. It's a lie, but it's but it's a good movie. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I would say that our friend in the NYPD said something to me, which is like, it, 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 which was really interesting. And and you know, you kind of want them to go out there and fight for their patch. It's usually like the police unions that do it. Like mm-hmm. the department never does. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I could be wrong about that, but it doesn't seem like they do very, very often is he said, like, you would be really surprised at the number, the, the sheer number of guns we've taken off the streets with no incident, no shooting, no violence this year. It's astonishing. Mm. And that's a good thing. That's a great, that's, you'd be like, look, people don't want guns in their street. They don't want kids with guns in their waistbands riding the fucking train. They don't want any of that stuff. I mean, well, this speak kid for yourself. Popped. I love the Second Amendment. I mean, I, well, I yeah, all kids yeah, get guns in America. Yeah, it's the ones that menace you with the gun. It's a little different. But, but yeah, yeah, the 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 um, like he got. I think that kid got caught on the train actually, initially with a with a gun. Mm. The one that got that was shot. Um, and you know that kind of thing. Like they should they should maybe they do put it out and maybe it's available, but it's not um, it's not easily accessible or it's not being reported. And that might not be the NYPD's fault that people aren't reporting that. But you know, a success of taking lots of guns off the street and uh, without incident is uh, is something to be to be proud of, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a hard thing to do, right? You're you got a gun. Your life is in danger at work every day. Mine is not in danger at work. Ninety nine percent of you have mm-hmm. that same thing. And you're taking a gun off somebody and you do that without, without incident. It's, uh, you know, it's worth, it's yeah. worth pointing out. But they got to do a better job with the communications and messaging. I, I think, they do. I think Miss Kavanaugh is, um, uh, a bad person. <laughs> I think yeah. her posts make me think that she is being either kind of willfully or, um, unforgivably sloppy, um, perhaps even disingenuous, uh, in a People had heard of her. I'd never had. Had you and heard of her before? I, I've probably seen her around on the interwebs before. And look, my, my, my perspective is that she's probably some sort of earnest criminal justice reform advocate, but this is not how you do it. Like this kind of false positive shit like undermines those efforts in profound and significant ways. Um, and mm-hmm. it certainly undermines the credibility of, of the media 
um, to, to get a story like this wrong, even if you end up correcting it later. So better to avoid this in the future. Hopefully we'll, we'll see some better reporting around this. And um, at least that young man um, who is a, a young man in his early 20s, late teens, who loves women's volleyball, now he gets yeah. to go to games more. Which, if that's all he has, I mean... You know, let don't him go take to it away from game. him because he's a crazy racist. <laughs> don't, take it, don't take that away from him. Don't do that to that man. Um, at least yeah. his name isn't out there in the public. But that's, we should probably that's we should true. probably wrap this up because it's getting a yeah, little. Let's late. wrap it up. And we want to we want to get this out. Um, I also have TV um, I still promise folks the the Thomas Chatterton Williams Adam Adam Davidson uh podcast is, is coming. Up. There was some there were some audio issues that had to be corrected. I know it shouldn't take a week, but in either case, it's coming very soon. But You've got this to hold you over. And on Sunday, this coming Sunday, um, we are having our uh, second Sundays nice. and we're going to be doing a live stream and you can find the details about that um, at weedofspick.substack.com. Yeah, but you got to subscribe for that. That's a, for subscribers, we do it. We do a regular um, Substack only podcast, but you get to you get to watch it live and uh, there's some interactive stuff too. So when you shout stuff at us, during the podcast, there is a possibility we'll respond to it. Word up. So, and if, uh, so, if yeah. you're listening beforehand, be sure to check out Matt tonight on Real Time with yep. uh, Winton, Winton Marsalis and wow. Scott Galloway. That uh, is a, that yeah. Winton Marsalis, who yeah. I believe signed that Harper's letter. The Harper's letter. He sure did. That's so yeah. weird. He sure yeah, did. All right. Well, good for Winton. So, yeah. All right, guys. Okay. Bye. Bye. We know of new methods of attack. Trojan horse, the fifth column, column.